Kia ora, welcome to Dirty Dirty Talk Podcast. How's it going, Mike? I'm good. So we don't have any headlines for you this week, folks, because we are very lucky to have had Lindy on again for part two of sharing her journey as someone who was excommunicated from the exclusive brethren. So in this episode, we get really personal to find out why she had to leave, um, what her next steps were, and how that's impacted on her life. So uh, part one, we actually have like a really good uh, sort of look more broadly at the church, uh, the sort of theology around what they're up to, um, the history and all that sort of stuff. So if you haven't listened to part one, go and listen to it first because it gives a lot of context for what we're about to get into right now. But uh, what do you reckon, Bex? Should, should, we, should we start the interview? Let's get into it. Hey, Lindy, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's great to be back here. So we're going to kick off where we left in the last episode. And you had just started talking to us about how you were asking some questions to the leaders of the Exclusive Brethren community. Um, you were asking them things like, why is it that, you know, I can't, um, you know, read different translations of the Bible? Why can't I have a cup of tea with my neighbor? Um, why can't I visit my grandfather that's been excommunicated? Things like that. And, and what that led to was a series of events where, the, the leaders you said tried to kind of you know convince you that you'd been positioned here in God's community and and that this is um, the best place and that what kind of what they say goes really and who are you to, to question God's word and 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 all these kind of messages and practices and that led to you being asked to leave so what happened from that point onwards yeah well that, that was um, yeah when the brown stuff really hit the fan. I guess you could say. Um, yeah, for me it was sort of like, I don't know if you guys know the story of the Emperor's New Clothes. It's it's like a fable that's been around for a long time. And it's, um, yeah, this emperor has, somebody's made him a beautiful outfit made out of invisible thread. And, and then he is like parading around in front of the village showing off his this apparently amazing outfit. And everyone's going wow, wow, that's so amazing, you look so handsome. And then it's this little boy who goes, he stands there and he's like, but the emperor has no clothes on. Like, you know, he's just calling it for what it is. He's like, ah, no. And and then everyone's like, no, shut up, little boy. Like, you're wrong, we're all right, the emperor looks amazing. Um, And so for me, it was really a moment like that because to me, it was as clear as day. I had been reading all the leaders' literature and reading the Bible and like putting the two next to each other it's just undoubted, undoubtedly obvious that the um, yeah the leaders are have just got really far away from I guess simple Christianity and from the character and like practices of of Jesus Christ and yeah so I was I guess I was trying to stand there and say these things to my family and to these priests and I was just asking yeah the, to, to me questions that were really obvious and um, but they just yeah came down on me like a ton of bricks and. Um, you know it was over so essentially um, what what that looked like I guess in in practical terms meant that um, I was being visited by the priests and it was a variety of different men or elders who were who were coming to visit me and talk with me and try and debate with me around what I was doing and and what I was thinking and why I was wrong Um, my it meant yeah I'm one of six kids and it meant that none of my siblings were allowed to talk with me anymore because of the fear of the influence that I would have on them and it meant that um, 
yeah, I was used to like every other Breton person going out to church every single night of the week and four times on a Sunday. So our lives yeah, revolved around these church meetings and all of a sudden I no longer was welcomed at those. Um, and so that was like radically isolating, I guess. I was kind of confined to living in my bedroom. I was still working at the time for my father, um, but in the end I stopped doing that as well because it was just, yeah, it was all too traumatic. Too traumatic. The world was falling down around my ears. And um, yeah, I've got actually... Yeah, it's it's all a big blur. It was probably a period of about five or six months, and I think a lot of that time I spent just um, feeling utterly smashed and kind of, yeah, I've got some snapshots of memory, I guess you could say, like memory of lying in my bed, just staring at the ceiling, just not knowing how on earth I was going to get through another day like this. It, it's hard to describe, but um, yeah, everyone you know, that you've got to remember that you have no social connections outside of this group, no no friendships, no other adults, no, um, you've got, you know, no familiarity with like even the Citizens Advice Bureau or any, anything like that. So you feel incredibly isolated, incredibly alone. I describe it as feeling like you have just been pushed out of a plane and you're plummeting down into pitch blackness. Like you just have no idea what's what's happening, what's coming for you. With your um, father, so just just to yeah. jump in there, so so you you were like isolated for you said a period of like five or six months. I mean, yes. what was, what was the relationship like with the rest of your family, and and what did they know? And I guess further, when you actually had to go out into the like the other side or leave leave them leave the exclusive brethren, how did you yes. go about doing that? I mean, what I think is like okay, you talk about citizens' advice bureau, but like, how do you go about not knowing anybody? I I can't imagine what that must be like. What 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 did you go yeah. through? Yeah, it's 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 an, it is very isolating. Mike, um, I yeah, my so my relationship with the family was well, my parents were at that time completely devoted to the exclusive brethren um, system and people and way of life. So for them, you know, I had now become a leper. I'd now become a threat in their own home. Someone who was um, they they loved me, and so they were devastated and and deeply upset, knowing that they were about to lose their daughter. But they were also, yeah, really angry and, um, and yeah, and they didn't want me talking to or influencing their other kids and all that kind of thing. So they were part of, they were part of, I guess, this, um, yeah, coming down on me like a ton of bricks thing. And, and ultimately it was them who said, there's no place for you in our home, which, you know, from their perspective, yeah, I was, I was dangerous. I was a threat. So, so the writing was on the wall. I had to leave. And, so I found that incredibly hard. I could barely physically do it, but in the end you get forced out, I guess, because, yeah, there is no place for you. Um, I So what, what happened then was I had got a calling card um, from, you know, the, the local dairy. I don't know if any of you remember them, but they had, like, you know, 30 numbers that you had to type in, and it was a way of making a phone call without being traced. Um because you've got to remember that at this stage, the Brethren had absolutely no internet access. We had no smartphones, no computers, nothing like that. No email addresses. That was all forbidden. And so, yeah, none of none of those avenues were available to me for connecting with the outside world. Um, so I used a calling card and I um, used 018. You might not be old enough to remember, um, but 
yeah, people kind of over 30 ish might remember the 018 thing. It was a directory system that you used to be able to use with ordinary phones, and you'd ring them and you'd pay 50 cents, and then you'd say, I want the number for Mrs. John Smith, Mr. John Smith, and, and Nelson, or wherever, and, and they would give it to you. So, so that was what I did, and I had found out the name of one of my aunts who'd been excommunicated before I was born. I had never seen a photo of her, never had anybody talk about her, other than my nana had mentioned her um, once or twice secretly, and so that's how I knew her name. But once you're gone, no one talks about you. All photos are removed of you. It's like you're you're unpeopled, you know. Um, so, but I had heard this name, um, Kate McLean, and and so I rang up 018 and asked them for her number and um, got it and then I rang her. So this was all secretively using the um, house phone. And um, yeah, and I got through to this lady and I said, I'm, I'm, you know, this is who I am. I'm your your niece. And she just started crying and I knew, wow, wow like, you know, she this is for real. Um, and she, I'd been told, of course, that as an outsider, she was evil and, and threatening and that kind of thing. But as part of, I guess, yeah, the, the walls in my mind coming down, I was daring to kind of hope that maybe she's not that evil or like she probably is, but she still might be able to help me get out, you know. <laughs> um, and she, but she wasn't in a position to have me to her home. Um, she lived in the South Island, but she said, I've got a son in Auckland. Um, he's a really kind guy. Your first cousin, his name's Ben. So yeah, again, like, She's got five kids. I'd never met them, never seen a photo of them, never knew their names. And there was one my own age in Auckland, just living on the other side of Auckland. She gave me his number. And so we got in touch. And after that, I did buy a secret mobile phone um, so that I could communicate with him. And he was going to a church, actually. And he went to this church and said, hey, this girl really needs help. Can anyone help her? And a couple at the church, um, just like, kind people who had over the years had various different people come and live with them who you know needed support they said oh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll take her you know for a few weeks until she finds her feet um and so then they got in touch with me and from there we organized for them to come and pick me up so that was that was yeah that was the like practical steps in terms of being able to leave um I didn't have a car so yeah they came and got me um and I packed up my belongings and yeah all of that it's yeah difficult to find the words to describe it succinctly but all of that is like just you know just just try and imagine I you know I come to you and say pack up your life you're not ever coming back to this home and you're not ever coming back to this family like what would you take you know trying to wrestle with all those things and and trying to process the fact that I'm never going to see these people again most likely like there are ex-members who have gone for decades um even lifetimes without seeing siblings and parents again and, and just yeah I, I term it like I don't mean any disrespect to um, people who have gone through suicide and saying this but it is a bit like I could feel a bit like committing you know planning your own suicide like I was writing goodbye letters to everyone to my grandparents my cousins my aunts and uncles knowing that this was probably the last communication I was ever going to have with them and sure enough like I must have written you know several dozen letters explain trying to explain myself like begging with them to contact me giving them my mobile number and I didn't hear from one of them after that that's an incredible story Lindy I mean to the point where it almost doesn't sound real and I I have two questions I guess firstly where are the rest of your family now your parents your siblings um and what kind of relationship or communication do you have with them 
yeah they so they still live in they still live in Auckland where in, in an area where there are a bunch of brethren who live um and I moved to another part of Auckland and yeah um it's been it'll be 14 years this November since uh since I've seen most of them since I since I left and yeah so my you know little kid siblings have grown up and become young adults and got married and there's I've had a whole bunch of nephews and nieces born who I've never met and you know not yeah their parents haven't notified me about their births that kind of thing my grandfather died a couple of months ago and nobody contacted me from the brethren um to to notify me about his um passing or his funeral <laughs> my, my own father because he shut up he was yeah forbidden to attend the funeral even though it was like held about 50 yards in a meeting hall from his house so it's it's yeah you you, you go does this stuff really happen today and like sadly yes it does um yeah so my family um I have continued to write to them at least a couple of times a year and on their birthdays um pretty much every year for these 14 years it's in the first couple of years I tried really hard to like keep opening their eyes and trying to explain to them where I was coming from so I like wrote a lot more um but in the end I realized that yeah they were completely opposed to actually having the conversation and it, and it was getting nowhere so I just settled down to just writing a few times a year and sending photographs and, and that's just hugely because of a commitment from my side that I don't want the separation to be from my side like even though there's all this pain and this polarization at the end of the day they're my family and I love them and I don't want I don't want that separation to be from my side you know I want I want them to know that I've never given up hoping that we can be reconciled and that we can be family again but um on the whole yeah from pretty much um all of my siblings bar one brother who has recently left um I've just heard nothing back uh, in all these years they just simply don't respond and um same with my parents overall they would barely respond occasionally there would be um, a letter or something that would come back and it would be um, an extremely painful letter because it would be around, um, yeah, you're in Satan's realm and you need to come back. um, Yeah, all that kind of thing. So that would be, yeah, you know, just a total breakdown in in worldview and in communication. Just, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, obviously, you miss your family immensely. Are there any other parts of the church that you actually, that you miss? No, no aspects of the church that I miss. No, yeah, just family and friends. Yeah, right. Um, what was it like when you first got to the outside? I guess you know when you first got a cell phone and and whatever. I, I wrote a question down. It's a little bit cheeky, but I was wondering. I mean, like, did you like you would have not tried McDonald's, for example? Did you um did you try that? What was that like? You know, what was it like experiencing all these new firsts? Yeah, um, great question. I actually. You making the point about McDonald's shows, I guess, how confusing the brethren are to outsiders because we actually did go to McDonald's, Mike, um, <laughs> but we didn't. We yeah, we did, we were allowed takeaways, but we were not allowed to eat in restaurants or pubs. We weren't right. allowed to sit in. So because the whole separation thing was like, yeah, you can't sit in. That's too much like socialising with outsiders. Whereas if you could get it takeaway, then that was seen as okay. Right. Um, but yeah. It, you know, to me, you're questioning that just demonstrates how difficult they are for outsiders to understand. Um, yeah, I don't remember a specific sort of first thing that I I enjoyed on the outside. There were so many things. People 
um, often said to me that I was like a kid in a lolly shop because I was just so excited by all the new experiences that were open to me. Um, yeah, someone, one of the first movies that I watched, someone made me watch was The Matrix because they were like, this is a classic, you should watch this. <laughs> and I, I just found it absolutely terrifying, like it haunted me because I just never... I'd never watched TV or movies and, and let alone science fiction. And so I just found it super graphic and like super confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember being excited by seeing the weather report because I'd never seen one on TV before. So like the visuals of the rain moving right. over New Zealand and, and the wind patterns and stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. That's so cool. <laughs> and then the people I was living with were like, um, it's a weather report. <laughs> yeah, so there were lots of moments like that. And yeah, I had heaps of unlearning to do, mm. especially around just how to relate to people who were different than me because... Yeah, and the Brethren, everyone was the same, you know? So, yeah, like, just to give one example, I remember meeting a man with long hair and piercings, and um, he was trying to talk to me, and I was just terrified because I thought he must be, a, like, a Satan worshipper. <laughs> in yeah. my mind, it was like, if you've got piercings and black long hair, like, you're, you know, you're, like, right up there next to Satan. And then, like, eventually, after, like, quite a bit of confusing talking, I discovered that he was a strong Christian, and I was just so confused. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and other things, like, another funny thing about the Brethren that a lot of people don't realise is that they've, they've got a huge drinking culture. Mm. They're really boozy, yeah. like, big time. And, and they drink, a lot of them drink, like, harder even than a lot of people on the outside. And, and so people would invite me for lunch, and I'd be like, okay, like, what? What liquor do you want me to bring? Like <laughs> rum? So yeah, no, I'm not even kidding you. Like this nice little family from church would invite me over or something, and I'd be like, "So, do you guys drink rum or whiskey?" And and they're just like, "Um, just orange juice, please." <laughs> so yeah, that that was that, that is was so that kind funny. Of was, yeah, it was why really are the brethren so boozy? That is a great question. Yeah, I don't have um, the weather report, and, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Yeah, they do have to make up for it somehow. Yeah, we, um, in essence, it's come from the leaders. The leaders have always been quite big drinkers. And um, a lot of people say that, that, that um, a couple of them, before the current one, were full-blown alcoholics. And there is a bit of evidence for that. And um, But so always from the top, the drinking has been encouraged. And so that just creates... A culture where it's okay and yeah like the current leader he's got some dumb sayings like um he had this saying he used to say of um drink makes a strong man stronger and a weak man weaker so things like that would kind of justify that oh if you can handle the drink like you're a strong man and so of course everyone then tries to live up to that but yeah he definitely encouraged the drinking like my brother i remember when i was still in there so this is like 15 years ago my brother went to a business seminar that the leader was taking and my brother came home and he said, oh, at like in the morning, like at 11 o'clock, you know, Bruce Hales um, ordered a round of whiskey for everyone present at the seminar. <laughs> and yeah, I was, and he was like, kind of like, oh, ha ha, like, isn't he a good dude? You know, whereas I was like, um, that's really unusual in the middle of a working week. Like, what? yeah. <laughs> um, Lindsay, we wanted to kind of touch on like the fact that you and others have started speaking out now about your experiences and and we know that the brethren paint people in quite a negative light particularly those who have left and even more so i can imagine those who like yourself are speaking out what has been your experience of that and i mean 
you know, you're, you're doing a podcast with us now. I know you've done one in the past. I've seen a couple of articles that you've written um, in the media. What has been the response to that? And are you worried or, yeah, are you worried at all that that's going to have an impact on you, that the Brethren might actually, you know, come after you? Yeah, that, that is, it, it, is um, it is a threat. I, I personally know of a bunch of people who have been uh, litigated by the Brethren. The Brethren are pretty big on um, that. They're, yeah, they're not slow to litigate if they think that that's, that's an avenue that will, um, yeah, shut down negative talk about them. And so, yeah, over the years they have managed to shut down various websites and also to take various people to court for doing things that they perceive are um, harmful to their, yeah, to their image or to, to how people perceive them. So that, that is definitely, that, yeah, that's definitely a threat that, that I um, have to kind of face with, with wanting to speak up about the Brethren. Um, yeah, my brother, as was in the media last year, he, he is currently being litigated by the Brethren. And yeah, I, I can't speak to the details about that, but um, it seems that it, it's along similar lines. So yeah, I think it's, it's really scary for any ex-member to speak up. I think they prefer it if you just sort of die quietly and fall off the back of the wagon and, and don't say boo after that. And it's something I have wrestled with because for many years I didn't speak up for over a decade because my family was kind of hold that out to me of like, um, I was always wanting to try and see them again. And, and they'd say, you know, don't you don't do this or don't do that. Like I put up a letter on, on an ex-Brethren website once, the letter that I'd written to the leader, just so that it could be out in the open, just with my questions. And, and they contacted me and said, we know your letter's up there, take it down or we won't see you. Um, and so I took it down, of course, but then they actually still refused to see me. And I realised that, that that in a way they were still having this ability to keep my mouth shut and to kind of hold down the flag of truth that I wanted to fly. Um, and, and that actually, yeah, they were still having this power to keep me quiet. And I, I just felt that that was wrong, that I should be able to share what's happened to me and what is still currently happening to families and people who leave. It's not just a historical thing, you know, this is present day. There are families all over New Zealand for whom are currently being undergoing pretty cruel tactics and separation. I, I wonder, <clears throat> something that came up, um, talking about power of, of the power of the exclusive brethren, but something that came up um, in some of the comments from last week's, or the first part of, um, of, of the show, that we did with you, um, they talk about business and power. Are you able to speak to that a little bit? Like, my understanding is that they've got some sort of, they've got their sort of fingers in quite a few pies when it comes to business. And there was a few years ago where they sent out, like, was that those guys, the exclusive brethren, the pamphlets um, for an election? Uh, do you yes. know much about that whole thing? Well, yes, I, I do. I mean, I was just a kid then. I would have been... Um... A teenager, sorry, but yeah, I rem I participated in that. Like I did pamphlet dropping. Um, we all did. We were all roped into it. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, one, we one, one question along the way. You mentioned last week that you're not allowed to vote. Yes. So you weren't allowed to vote, or yes. exclusive <laughs> brethren are not allowed to vote. Yet <laughs> you guys are out there dropping pamphlets advocating for mm. national. Yes. Yes. It, it's it makes no sense at all, and. Yeah, and even the brethren don't have 
a line that they trot out to justify that. Um, yeah, they they the no voting thing. They've never done that. Like going back, you know, for many decades. And for them back then, it was part of this be separate thing. Same as they're not part, they're allowed to be part of unions. It was like yeah, we're separate. You know, um, that's just not our business. We're just this holy huddle that's trying to get on with being pure until the rapture comes. And you know, we're not we're not we're not phased about what's happening in the with the government of a, of a country type of thing other than maybe praying for them or something yeah we're, so this whole thing of interfere of interfering or trying to um sway elections was something that did happen in several countries around the world with the brethren including australia and in new zealand and it seemed to be under bruce hales it seemed to be a new thing that he was bringing out and um i think it's because he's got a huge focus on business and on making money and um, different different governments can affect that and so um, I think for him it was important to try and get a government in that favoured um, them as business people. Mm. What what kind of businesses um, do do the exclusive brethren have and and they've got quite a few right I mean you just talk about it now they, they, they're quite strongly focused on making money. Yeah, that's right, they are. And I think, again, that's partly because it's one of the only things that they are allowed to do. You're not allowed to pursue sports or hobbies or, um, yeah, you know, much further, further study or learning, that kind of thing. So apart from really specific areas. So I think it is just something that they can do. Um, uh, what kind of businesses have they got? Well, again, you're not allowed to go to university, um, certainly not on site. I have heard reports in the last couple of years that, um, people are being allowed to do some degrees, particularly if it relates to like business or accounting or, or management, that kind of thing, that they're allowed to do it through distance. Um, but yeah, so nearly all the businesses, yeah, you're not allowed to be, for example, you know, an airline pilot or a teacher or a, or a doctor or anything, but you are allowed to, um, yeah, be, be part of running businesses. A lot of them are manufacturing businesses or, um, like around materials, handling equipment or safety equipment, um, office furniture and products. Yeah, um, things businesses that you can kind of run without having perhaps had a university degree. But they don't use email or fax or anything. Well, they like do now. This is the thing. They do now. This is the thing. They over since I've left, they have now embraced technology. But it's all hired from a central organization and under the control of that central organization. So that's called UBT. Um, I believe it stands for Universal Business Team, if I've got that right. Um, it's a central um, global brethren organization and it hires out laptops and a version of a smartphone. And they, I understand that it's, um, does it yeah, have like a child lock on it or something? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. They've, yeah. Is it being monitored? They've been, like... Yeah, they've been open about that it's got, you know, and um, they said to one um, oh. sociologist, that yeah, they said to one sociologist quite proudly that it's like, you know, got one of the world's most state-of-the-art, um, what do they call it, like, yeah, management, management systems. So, yeah, we've heard reports that it can... Yeah, you know, take screenshots, can, yeah, that wow. they can monitor exactly yes. what's going on. And so, yeah, so, so brethren people do now have a version of smartphone and do have laptops and computers, especially for business. I, I understand it's still not really allowed for much personal use, um, but yeah, they're heavily um, controlled by UBT. That's my understanding. It sounds but like But all this of this is... was new. 
Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of contradictions. I mean, yeah. I just all I hear is like, we can do this, but you can't do that. You can do this, but you can't do that. And it kind of doesn't make it's any very, sense. Oh my gosh, it's so confusing. And in there, they used to have a statement, like a lot of groups have, they've got their like little statement for explaining away things. And so they used to say, oh, the Lord has turned a corner. Um, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Okay. The Lord has what turned does, a corner. Yeah, what does that mean? In yeah. their minds, it was like, yeah, the Lord has um, changed his mind and, and you know, he, yeah, he's turned a corner and, and they'd sort of joke and say, we've got to, yeah, hold on, hold on tight because, you know, sometimes the Lord turns a corner quickly. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we, you know, ex-members, we're like, man, the Lord must be getting dizzy with all these corners <laughs> yeah. that he's turning. Um, but, yeah, it's really hard. Like, we joke about it, but really hard for older members. Like, there are people in there you know, like my parents' age and higher, who, who they they were shut up or had siblings excommunicated and gone forever because they once listened to a radio or something minor and then now all now of a sudden, yeah, 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 they're oh. being told, yeah, they're being told, well, yeah, they don't listen to the open radio still, like it still controls, they still don't have, they're not meant to have anyway, like Netflix and YouTube and that, it's still heavily whitelisted internet. Um, but I think all the young people are getting around it you know, getting yeah. around all the blockers all the yeah. time. I have heard reports of that, that they're, you know, setting up false names and they're on Instagram and all this. So it'll be interesting to see what the future brings because it's like they've opened Pandora's box now, you know, allowing allowing um, technological devices. It's right. going to change things, I'm and sure, but it might take time. For those older members, Lindy, like, is that not reason enough for them to start questioning and feeling like they would, you know, want to leave the community? Seeing that, seeing all these contradictions in their lifetime, being part of the brethren, oh, it must. Yeah, I think it must be really, really hard. Um, you either have to shut down your brain and just stop asking those questions because you'd go mad, um, or if you do allow yourself to sit with those doubts, I think you're living in a in a in a world where you're. Yeah, you're, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on. There's a lot of yeah, very confusing for people. Um, I think that the ex-members talk about the three Fs of why people stay, and that's fear, family, and finance. And those are three very powerful forces that even if you are starting to disagree with what's going on or have a lot of questions, um, yeah, if you've got a lot of fear, if you've got financial ties in the brethren, that's your only form of you know, business and income and, and training. Um, and if you've got family in there, those are three very powerful forces that just make people make it too difficult for people to leave. Do you think people feel trapped generally? Then, like, I mean, as as the majority, I mean, I, I imagine it's pretty hard to have a sort of frank discussion with I don't know, let's say one of your siblings back in the day, and say, hey, hey, you know, how are you feeling about it? Do you feel trapped within the exclusive? I mean, do you have any sort of like thoughts on that? Whether whether or not people are actually happy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's a hard one to say. I think that some of them actually are happy if you if you fit the mould of what's expected of you, and if you love making money and you love alcohol and you love <laughs> and you and you love leading an insular materialistic life, then you could be happy in there. And some people, that's what they want. Um, I have no doubt that some people do feel trapped. Um, yeah, as well, some people might be happy. Some people would definitely feel trapped. Mm. Mm. Lindy, if I'd been through what you've been through, um, I can imagine that I would be really angry at the church as an institution. I'd be angry at God 
even the concept of God. And I'd kind of want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I wouldn't want a bar of it. Something that I admire about you, but I, I wonder if it's potentially unusual, is that you've actually held on to the Christian faith. And um, I, it's my understanding you've also trained to become a pastor as well. You are a pastor. I mean, why did you choose to stay involved with Christianity after everything that you've been through? Yeah, um, good question, Bex. Well, I think for me it was it was actually because it was reading the Bible. That was the thing that actually opened my eyes to how bizarre the brethren are. Like in the Bible, I saw a God who welcomes all kinds of people, especially this like big focus on the so-called sinners, like you know the poor, the despised in society, the ones who have been making wrong choices, so to speak. And and like I saw that Jesus is like intentionally actually eating with these people and having to do with them and it was like hang on this is the very thing that we are forbidden from doing in the brethren so I guess yeah I saw a God who in my interpretation of it um obviously religion's a contentious issue and people read the Bible differently but in my reading of it I saw a God whose purposes for humanity were like expansive were inclusive were extraordinary they were they were big and beautiful whereas the brethren's theology was like boring, very insular, and very obsessed around personal purity rather than, you know, this big thing. So for me, it was actually in order to keep seeking this bigger God out and living in accordance with these bigger purposes for humanity and creation. That that was what led me out. Um, yeah, so I, I continue to be part of Christian communities, um, ones who have that kind of a view of God. Um, rather than the brethren's view of God. And yeah, as you said, I um, have been a Baptist pastor. So yeah, Christian communities are a bit of a paradox for me. Like I have a love-hate relationship with them. Um, there's good and bad among among Christian communities, as we know. And yeah, I guess it is kind of weird that for me, a so-called church, the, the brethren, has caused me significant trauma in my life. And yet here I am. Yeah, being a pastor, but I think um, I think that is also because yeah, while the brethren have caused me the most trauma I've experienced, um, it has actually been through church communities that I've also now experienced the most powerful moments of of healing, of of beautiful surrogate surrogate um, parents and family adopting me. Um, it, it's in those communities I've experienced the most um, kindness that I have ever known as well. So. Yeah, it's, it is a paradox, but yeah. I guess in short, you could say I believe in the idea of what church is supposed to be. I, I believe it's supposed to be this radical community of people who live and serve and try to reconcile what's broken around them. And it's that kind of thing that holds me in church communities, believing in that idea of what it's meant to be rather than um, what the brethren, um, what, what their, what their um, experience of what they call being a church is. Yeah. Do you so this? Sorry, we're just uh, changing tack a little bit. Do you, or could you ever see the exclusive brethren ever disappear? Do you think they'll always be around? Oh yeah, that's an interesting question. They, um, I think that like with a lot of um, radicalized groups, which I think they are, um, there's always going to be a kind of personality or a kind of people who who are attracted to that um, radical, um, extreme way of living and of believing. 
I think we see this with like a lot of different groups and a lot of religions is often a, a radicalized arm that holds some extreme beliefs higher than all others. So in that sense, I think that um, it's quite possible that a, a, a small number of the brethren could could continue over time to keep believing in this extreme separation from the rest of the world. I think there, 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 there could be a lot who leave over time just because they're in there because it's what they were born into and it's the way they know. But if over time they, they could drift out. Um, but yeah, I think it's possible that it will continue sort of dribbling along, yeah. I'm, I just had a thought. Okay, so you said that they don't evangelise, yes. which means essentially they've got 8,000 people in New Zealand. It's about how many Something people? Something like that, yeah. Okay. And everyone has quite a few kids. Do they all intermarry? <laughs> like, yeah, good question. I mean, like, are they yeah, all just um, marrying yeah, no, each other? Yeah, like, that's a very pertinent question. Yeah, very pertinent question. They, um, so they've started to have to marry. They like have to marry intercontinentally because of the gene pool being limited. So, like, my brother, when he was of marriageable age, um, my mum or someone like went through the the directory for everyone in New Zealand and highlighted the ones that he wasn't related to and from memory I think there was like <laughs> five girls oh yeah, Only yeah, five girls. yeah I think so it was something like that and then he didn't like any of them so so he started looking overseas so yeah oh. thankfully they still have got a global gene pool to draw in at the moment but um because yeah I have I mean if you're if you're if you can't I mean you can marry your cousin, I guess, if you want. I'm not sure on the laws on that, but I don't even know if they'd care, to be honest. But I, I guess my point is that, like, if you just have to keep intermarrying mm. and you're not bringing in new people apart from having more kids, you're just going to start, yeah, like yeah. I say, you know, running out of yeah. people to marry. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Funny little things. Uh. So we actually, we had a really awesome response, Lindy, to our last episode. We had a few people message us on different platforms, um, you know, saying that they have had some similar experiences themselves, either themselves right. or someone that they know. Um, I had oh, cool. yeah. I had a person message me um, saying that this person had been excommunicated, they'd had to leave the exclusive brethren themselves, and they haven't been, you know, out for as long as you have, so they're still adjusting to to life on the outside and I know Mike had a few messages as well on another platform of people who have you know gone through similar experiences and they they even sent the episode to to relatives of them to listen to oh wow yeah and and so I mean firstly thank you so much for for providing this um platform for others to be able to feel more comfortable to share the experiences that they've gone through but what what advice would you give to people who are either like still maybe trapped, feel trapped in a community, whether that be the Brethren's or another kind of religious or other community or family? And what advice would you give to those who have left and are trying to adjust to life on the outside? Yeah, shoot. I'm trying to think how to be succinct here, but oh, my mind goes to my um, dear old Nana used to always say to me, God is a rewarder of those who seek. And and that's a line from the book of Hebrews. But my advice is that... that um, just seek, search, ask questions. Like, yeah, wherever it is that you find yourself in, ask those questions. Um, ask the questions, especially ask the questions that you feel like you're not meant to be asking, that people are wanting to shut down. You know, why are they wanting to shut those questions down? 
um, yeah, keep on seeking and, and dare to imagine that there's much more to life than what you currently know. So often we just limit ourselves to kind of the horizon we can see and there's so much more beyond that. So dare to explore beyond where you currently are and what you can currently see. And yeah, I would also add, I'd love to add something. I think currently we're seeing a lot of fear and polarization and confusion um, around, like I'm talking here about COVID and the vaccinations or anti-vax and, and all that kind of thing. And like I'm seeing people and even families and friendships and, and that start to get quite divided divided by these things. And, and for someone like me who's already had my life and my family's life kind of sacrificed at the altar of polarizing opinions it's super hard to it's really like devastating to see again how yeah strong beliefs and and differences in opinion and practice can divide people it's really sad and I don't have any easy answers at all but I guess final word I would love to say like on my heart right now is just man for any listeners like when you're faced with a polarizing choice just even if you're going to reach a conclusion that's really different from your friend or your family member or someone else in society just like I, I I so just want people to keep we've got to do everything we can to keep treating each other gently and, and doing everything we can to keep loving each other and even in the face of of coming down on really different sides of the fence so yeah keep keep asking questions and keep keep loving each other <laughs> that's an amazing place to end it Lindy um really really appreciate your the time that you've given us for this it's been a really insightful and interesting um sort of conversation that we've had um and yeah you've done some pretty amazing stuff I, I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like back in when you first left it just must have been awful so for you to come this whole thing and then have a chat to us about it is, is pretty amazing so i just want to say thank you again thank you both for the opportunity and yeah wishing courage have, to anyone out there who's asking questions hmm. i have one last question I always do this. I always sneak one in. Yes. Um, do the exclusive brethren do vaccines? Oh, I have actually, I have just had word recently that, yeah, some, someone told me that they are pro-vaccination and um, that, that the leader is encouraging, is, is yeah, telling people to get it and, and saying that if, if they don't, then they, you know, won't be able to, eat with them or have them in their homes and that kind of thing, which I found fascinating because um, I would love to know, and, and of course I don't know and I can't can't tell you, but I'd love to know his motivation for that because, um, yeah, I'd love to know, is, it, is that because he's pro-vaccine, um, you know, medically, or is that because I think he is a very careful and clever person in terms of how he leads the brethren and they're very, very aware of their public image at the moment and of anything negative about that and I think unlike um, churches like Destiny Church um, they who, who are not afraid to get out there and get negative public opinion the brethren absolutely hate the spotlight being on them they'll do everything they can to avoid it and to keep away from negative public opinion they prefer to just um, you know operate in the background and get on with doing their thing they, they can't stand media scrutiny so yeah, the cynical side of me wonders if um, part of that is because, yeah, there's no way they'd want to have the spotlight on them right? the way it has been on churches like Destiny. But, yeah, that's just me being cynical, yeah. 
super mm-hmm. interesting. Well, Lindy, I think you're really brave. Um, I really admire you a lot. You've been through so much pain and you're using that for good, but also to try and bring healing to others. So thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do and for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you. Oh, good. Great to chat with you both. Look See- forward to um, seeing who else you interview. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> See you, Lindy. Awesome. Bye. Okay. Keep enjoying lockdown. Bex, how was that? It sounded like a bit of a tragedy to me, to be honest. Um, like, some of the things that Lindy was sharing, I just couldn't believe that it was real. It, and, and it just felt like, it feels like it's a movie or something that you read in a book. And I think, I mean, there's so many things, Mike. There are so many things to unpack here. But I guess, like, one of the things that really stood out for me was how can a family how can parents reject a child how can a parent choose ideology or a religion over a relationship with a child that they've brought into this world and the fact that lindy has written to them for 12 years she sent letters she sent um, birthday cards she's acknowledged milestones um, the fact that they haven't responded back to her aside from saying that she is now a um, Satan worshipper pretty much and um, the fact that her grandfather died and they didn't even tell her about it I just can't imagine the pain that she's been through and I can't even imagine how how parents can do that how parents can be so entrenched in a religion that they can let their own child um, walk away and want to have nothing to do with them yeah, I I think sometimes we have this tendency to, I don't know, think about these people. In a, I mean, what, so we hear, what we hear in the media is like a bunch of people in a cult where they don't want to talk or they're, you know, um, they're kind of shut off and all the rest of it. But the thing that I, I really, really found heartbreaking was there would have been a moment when her parents would have dropped her off somewhere knowing that they won't ever speak to their kid again or that was the intention and like that that is a, that like as a, as a sort of like a moment and they that was an act of choice by these people so we talk about you know in the media uh, you know the exclusive brethrens and they get shut off and they do all these sort of things we can't imagine what it'd be like for a 21 year old person to be dropped off and just and be like oh yeah i don't expect to see you ever again and also this is a choice that you, we're just booting you out of here and she said a lot of the uh other people they haven't seen for decades you know it's awful. Um, but it also speaks to how powerful this is. And we just had a ch- quick chat before we um, are recording. And speaking about the three Fs, um, fear, finance of family, finance in no particular or whatever. Um, but that is so powerful. Yeah, so do you know what was running through my head when Lindy was talking about the three Fs? So, and and, you know, this is saying that there are these three things that often prevent people from leaving even when they want to. That's um, fear, fear of leaving the community, family, um, having to leave your family behind, and finance, not being able to support yourself because you don't have any money of your own. You're completely financially dependent on your family and the community. When she was talking about the three Fs, what was going through my mind is that this is so similar to women who are trapped in domestic violence relationships where they're being abused, where they have children and they feel like they're trapped and they can't leave because of these same three things. 
And it just reminded me of the power and the control, like you're saying, Mike, that this community has over people and the manipulation mm-hmm. to mani- mani- manipulate them so much to the point where they feel like they don't have anything else. They have nothing else on the outside world apart from this community. And that's the truth in many ways, like Lindy was talking about. She didn't even know how to contact the, the Citizens Advice Bureau. She had no one, and she was so brave to take those steps to to make that very first phone call, and then luckily for her, it all kind of just um, unraveled, and she was able to to get out. But can you imagine having no other support system? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask her about, um, I I've read a lot about this, and actually came up in some of the comments from from um, the part one of the of the show, and uh, it was about sexual abuse sexual assault within the church we didn't touch on it i know there's a lot of um information out there on 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 people that have come out but it's just another layer of abuse i mean there's no other way of describing it i mean that's just obviously just them feeling trapped and stuff and not being able to leave that's a level of abuse in my opinion well it is right and then you have for some people, this other element thrown on top of it, and it's it's tragic for those people. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, for me, I see that as just yet another one of the contradictions that exist within the community. Um, I am sure, like you, Mike, that while sexual um, sexual like interactions and this and that would be seen as taboo, things that they probably don't talk about out in the open. I would say that sexual abuse is absolutely rife. And we've seen that in other um, alleged cults like Glory Vale, for example. Um, in any community where they're suppressed and oppressed, um, there's going to be sexual abuse. Um, and look, look at the other contradictions that Lindy was talking about. Things like you can't vote, but you can hand out pamphlets for national. You can't eat in restaurants, but you can have takeaways. Things like this, and and it really does make you wonder why people continue to stay in the community when they can start to see these contradictions happening around them. Yeah, but this is it. So if you don't know anything else, it's a dark world out there with people with long hair and black t-shirts, you know. And piercings. Piercings, you know, like, it's just that fear component, right? And, I, you know, and it's a fear and control thing. And what other contradictions do they have? They had quite a few, right? I mean, one of the funny ones for me was the fact that they can't watch TV and have radio and have, like, you know, outside contact with the world, but they can get drunk as hell. <laughs> yeah, I found that I found that really interesting. I was like, oh, that's what you guys do. You don't all sing around, you know, campfires, sing. Well, maybe they do, but they're also hammered while they do it. Exactly. Such a boozy bunch. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's quite comical how... The brethren are trying to be as separate as possible from the world around them, but they're willing to indulge in some of the pleasures that the so-called evil world can give them, such as alcohol or takeaways. I mean, that's sort of part of the logic, like this inconsistencies with a lot of religion, though. Except they just, these guys just push it to the absolute extreme. Um, yeah, I don't know. One thing that I'm kind of interested in is how the government can protect people in these groups because obviously, I mean, it's hard to go out and, and reach for the police or other support services 
if you're in an abusive relationship or an an abusive community or whatever but where you're completely shut off i think the um the challenge for for police etc is that much greater i don't know i don't know how we go about doing that but it should be looked into because there are a lot of people out there who are not being looked after and they deserve it like anybody else yeah, we're talking about people who don't really have freedom of speech or freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. And there should be a way where we can give access to these people who want to start asking questions and who are thinking about leaving. Um, and I know that there are brave people, even like the couple that went and picked up Lindy, um, who are doing that. But you're right, I feel like there needs to be something more um, that we can do to ensure that these people are safe. Yeah, I, I just had a thought. Like, you know, when like um, South Korean groups or whatever, they... They have like balloons or whatever, and they send them over to the north. Yeah. And they drop little flyers <laughs> and little like uh, USB drives with, yeah. like, <laughs> with like movies. Maybe we should go and do that. Like, exclusive brethren, you know, like, it's okay to think. I don't know. That's just an idea. A bit silly, but maybe we should give it a crack. Maybe we should, you know, drop some numbers, like, call this number if you want to leave, if you want to get out. Yeah, well, that was quite interesting as well. She did allude to it in the interview that there are actually um, a few support ex-brethren support services so they're really helpful i think because you know if you've left the community you got no idea what's going on um those those support services i mean they can they can they can help out in Mm. in pretty big ways something else i wanted to ask you mike what what did you think about lindy's decision to stay involved in christianity and in the church i think that was one of the most interesting parts of the show actually because i thought I'm not Christian. I never have been. Um, but I respect that, you know? Like, you, you. she said it's like a love-hate sort of, um, I don't know, love-hate thing going on there. Uh, but, you know, if you take the good parts of it or what you can and, and the weird stuff that you don't agree with, um, it's like anything, and make it work for you. And, 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 and the community, the church community was amazing like they were the ones who were the first they were the first put a call for her when she left and you would be extremely grateful to those people of course you would so for i mean and this is the thing is like just because these people behave so apparently doesn't mean that all of christianity is the same and i don't know that's what that's what i think anyway what do you think Yeah, I think something that was really powerful that she said was that the church has been the place of her greatest pain and trauma, Mm. but it's also been where she's found her greatest healing from. And the fact that she can focus on, like you say, the the positive and the beautiful aspects of Christianity, which for her is to bring healing to brokenness that she sees around her, I actually think that is pretty amazing. I think for someone to have gone through so much trauma associated with a, a particular religion, but to be able to actually still hold on to those good parts, I think is really admirable. I, and also, I just add, want to add to that, I don't think we should be conflating these two different things because they are very separate. If you have like a chill, Baptist-style church community, they do great work and they service a community in a lot of different ways. These guys do none of that. Yeah. They just make a bunch of money, get drunk, and marry their cousins. Allegedly. (laughs) Pretty much. Allegedly. But no, 100%. And I think that mainstream Christians would be just as disgusted as we are to hear about the controlling and abusive um, practices within the exclusive brethren. So I totally agree with you on that.
Is there anything else you want to add to this? Look, I just want to say that I think Lindy is so brave. Um, she's truly an inspiration. Um, and I also really hope that um, by speaking out, this doesn't come back to bring any more harm her way um, because that's something that's also been on my mind. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Eh? You've got to be kind of careful about it. Um, I'll just finish by saying what a great show. Uh, listeners, you know, share it and tell a mate about the show, um, particularly the show mm. and what Lindy's been up to because it's, it's sort of a great, I don't know, it's just a really great listen and, and to hear what she's sort of been up to. But um, otherwise, we'll see everybody next week. Kia ora. Kia ora.